Note from Sri Ramanashram. Ashtavakra Gita is a very valuable work containing the highest Advaitic teaching imparted by sage Ashtavakra to King Janaka by means of a conversation. Being a ripe soul, King Janaka became self-realized by following the teaching of Ashtavakra. An edition with limited circulation carrying the Canada transliteration of Ashtavakra Gita along with the English translation of Swami Nitya Swarupananda of Ramakrishna Mission, was published by the Mysore Palace. A copy was presented to Bhagavan Ramana Maharshi by the Maharaja of Mysore in 1932. The specialty of the copy presented to Bhagavan is that he, Bhagavan, has copied the original Sanskrit text in his own hand and the free space above the Kannada version. Bhagavan has also written the caption, Maharaja of Mysore, below the photograph of the Maharaja. This has been carefully preserved at the ashram archives. The Ashtavakra Gita was always recommended by Bhagavan for study by devotees. For this reason, we present the current audiobook for the benefit of seekers. The current narration is based on the translations of Swami Nitya Swarupananda, John H. Richards, and Hare Prasad Shastri. Note Lightning Upadesh to one on a stirrup. Once upon a time, King Janaka was listening to a philosophical treatise being read out to him by the state pundit. He came across a passage which said that when a man had placed one foot upon the stirrup and before he lifted himself to place the other foot on the other stirrup, realization would be complete. This means that realization is so sudden and quick. Then Janaka desired his pundit to stop and asked him if a horse might be brought in to prove the statement. The pundit admitted his inability to impart practical wisdom. The king suggested that the text is either false or exaggerated. The pundit would not admit it. Though himself not able to impart practical wisdom, the text could not be false or exaggerated because the words were those of the wise sages of the past. Janaka was irritated and had him imprisoned. He further similarly charged everyone who passed for a wise man and imprisoned them all. About that time, there lived a sage by name Ashtavakra, a man of eight deformities. He was young and was roaming about in the country. He happened to be in Janaka's territory, and there two men passed him on the way. He inquired of them whose country it was and what the king did. They were some of those who were terribly afraid of Janaka's challenge and imprisonment, and in their despair they told him that the country was Janaka's, and the king was rather irritated and harsh upon those pundits who could not explain to him a scriptural text. Ashtavakra immediately offered to explain the text and release the imprisoned pundits. They were impressed by his assurance and took him in a palanquin to the palace. 
The king was in the court hall, and at the sight of the sage he stood up and saluted him with great reverence. Ashtavakra asked the king why he should imprison the pundits. Janaka told him the reason. Ashtavakra said, Release them all. Janaka thought that this suggestion could only proceed from one who would be able to clear his doubts. So he had all the pundit prisoners released and asked Ashtavakra if he might have a horse brought then and there so that realization might be imparted to him as mentioned in the scripture. The sage warned the king not to be hasty. Brahmanyana could be imparted only in solitude and not in a court hall. Janaka offered to go into solitude along with him. There a palanquin was brought for Ashtavakra, and Janaka rode beside him with a retinue following them. When they reached the outskirts of a forest, the sage asked that the king should order the retinue to turn back and that they must be left alone. So it was done. Again Janaka requested Brahmanyana, put one foot in the stirrup and was anxiously praying his master. The sage told him, Wait, in the same scripture you should have known that Brahmanyana is imparted by a guru to his chela. Are we in such relationship? asked Ashtavakra. Janaka then made obeisance to him and submitted to become his disciple and prayed to be taught. Ashtavakra then told him that a proper disciple should surrender himself, his possessions, and all to his master before being taught Brahmanyana. Janaka surrendered all. Then Ashtavakra said, Well, then Ashtavakra said, Well. Janaka became dazed. Ashtavakra disappeared from the scene. Janaka was standing statue-like where he was. Time passed by. It was getting dusk. The citizens were awaiting the return of Janaka, but found no sign of his approach. They grew anxious and began to search for him. They came to the place where Janaka was still standing. He was unaware of their presence and would not answer any of their inquiries. They were surprised and were sorry to find the king in that condition. The ministers looked out for Janaka's companion, Ashtavakra, but could not find him. They thought he must be a charlatan who had worked some spell upon their king. They vowed vengeance on him. They were, however, concerned with the king's condition and they wanted to minister to their king. They placed him on a palanquin and returned to the city. The king continued to be in the same condition. He was later placed on a bed, and many were anxiously waiting on him the whole night. Finding him continue in the same dazed state, the ministers sent out search parties for bringing Ashtavakra to the palace in order that he might be induced to remove the spell from the king. Ashtavakra was brought by one of the search parties by nightfall to the palace. The minister was wild at the sight, but still suppressed his anger and requested the sage to bring the king back to his normal condition after relating a woeful story of the sad plight of the leaderless people. At the same time, the minister charged the sage with responsibility for the present state of the king 
Ashtavakra simply smiled at all this harangue and told the minister to ask the king himself. The minister professed his inability to make the king respond. Ashtavakra said, Is this so? Let me see. So he called out, Janaka! Immediately Janaka saluted him and replied, Lord! The ministers were surprised. Ashtavakra said, Look, Janaka, I am being charged by the people here as having brought you to this sad plight. Tell them if it is so. Janaka was furious and asked in a rage, Who was it that said so? The ministers began to tremble, but still continued to request the sage to bring the king back to the normal condition. The sage told them to retire and leave him alone with the king. They did so. The sage told the king, Now, Janaka, why are you like this? You must be as others are, and should not behave differently from the normal condition. Janaka said, I am yours, O Lord. I can act only to your orders. Ashtavakra continued, Brahmanyana can be taught to competent persons only. I have been all along testing your competence. Take your food first, and then we will continue the discussion. Janaka finished his meal and then prayed, How can I realize Brahman and be liberated? Ashtavakra said, Brahman is not anything new or apart from you. No particular time or place is needed to realize Brahman. That thou art. That is the self, eternal and infinite. In this way the whole night passed, when the sage was elucidating the Ashtavakra Gita. The next morning, when the ministers came on a visit to the king, they found him quite all right and were happy. They thanked the sage. The king called the assembly and was at his work as usual. He performed his functions normally. In the assembled court, Ashtavakra said to the king, O king, formerly you had some doubt if Brahmanyana could be had as suddenly and quickly as mentioned in the scriptures, and you wondered if the text was correct. Now tell your men how you feel. Bring the horse here and demonstrate the truth of it. The king was all humility now, and said, O Lord, I was thoroughly mistaken then. I have myself to blame. Because of my immaturity, I doubted the correctness of the scriptural text. Oh, every letter of it is true. Om Tat Sat From Swami Nitya Swarupananda October 1932 Ashtavakra Gita, or Samhita as it is also called, inculcates the essence of the highest knowledge of Advaita, it deals with the actual realization of the eternal Atman, self, which is not something that dawns only when the world is renounced, or when it does not exist, or ceases to be perceived, as when one is said to go to another sphere after death, or when one is in yogic samadhi, or when one is otherwise unconscious, as in deep sleep but it is attained in the highest stage when one is in the very midst of the world, perceiving 
or feeling the objects in it, even as King Janaka, while actually ruling his kingdom, did attain, following the teachings of Rishi Ashtavakra. From the Ashtavakra Gita, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, eating, taking, speaking, and walking, the great-souled one, freed from all efforts and non-efforts, is verily liberated. The wise one who lives on happily, doing what comes to him to be done, does not feel troubled either in activity or in inactivity. Indeed, I am in all beings, and all beings are in me. This is knowledge. What need is there for renunciation, for holding on, or dissolution? He who has attained Brahman cannot be distinguished from other men of the world, either in their dress or in their behavior. He wears no external signs. From the Mahabharata. The man of knowledge, though living like a worldly man, is contrary to him. Only those like him can understand him. Such a person ever feels his oneness with the all. The man of knowledge feels no desire for the dissolution of the universe or aversion to its existence. The Blessed One, therefore, lives happily on whatever subsistence comes of itself. The man of knowledge feels no desire for the dissolution of the universe or aversion to its existence. In fact, the highest knower, the Jnanan, realizes at all times that whatever exists is nothing but his very self, the Atman or Brahman. Ashtavakra further furnishes the key to the means of attaining the supreme knowledge in the words, as one thinks, so one becomes. But the steps, as may be gathered from the following verses, require the hardest and the most patient efforts to climb. Till the ego, I, is effaced, the truth cannot be known. If you aspire after liberation from the bondage of ignorance, my child, shun the objects of the senses as poison. Seek forgiveness, sincerity, compassion, contentment, and truth as nectar. In whatever you perceive, you alone appear. Do bracelets, armlets, and anklets appear different from gold? Completely give up such distinctions as I am he and I am not this. Consider all as the self. The ignorant person does not attain peace, either by inaction or by action. The wise one becomes happy simply by knowing the truth. Ashtavakra Ashtavakra was born of Kahor and Sujata. While Ashtavakra was still in his mother's womb, Kahor was once reciting the Vedas sitting beside his wife. To their great surprise, the child in the womb suddenly cried out, Father, even lying in my mother's womb, I have already learnt all the Vedas through your grace but I regret that you often make mistakes in your recitation. 
Pahor took this as a grave insult, and he cursed him, saying that he would be born with eight parts of his body deformed. Accordingly, in the course of time, a child was born with a twisted form and was named Ashtavakra, meaning eight-curved. In the meanwhile, Kahor went to the court of Janaka to beg money from the king. The king had at that time in his court a great scholar called Vandi, son of King Varuna. He was profoundly versed in the Vedas. Kahor was called to a debate by him, was defeated and thrown into the sea, where he had to be engaged as a priest in a sacrifice performed by Varuna. When Ashtavakra grew to be a lad of twelve and heard of the sad plight of his father, he repaired to the court of Janaka in company with his maternal uncle, Svetaketu. Being a mere boy, he was not at first allowed entrance into the court. But when he gave proof of his extraordinary learning in the Shastras, he was cordially welcomed. He at once sought out his father's opponent, Vandi, and entered into a debate with him. A wonderful controversy ensued, and the boy of twelve defeated the foremost veteran scholar of the court of Janaka. He rescued his father from the grip of Varuna. Kahor was highly satisfied with his son, and asked him to bathe in the river Samanga. And lo, he came out of the waters with all his limbs made straight, but his name continued the same forever. From the Mahabharata. Ashtavakra Gita, Chapter 1. Ashtavakra expounds to King Janaka the characteristics of the Self and instructs him on the knowledge of the Self that is natural and ever-existent. Janaka said, How can knowledge be acquired? How can liberation be attained? How is detachment to be achieved? Tell me this, O Lord. Ashtavakra said, If you aspire after liberation, my child, shun the objects of the senses as poison. Seek forgiveness, sincerity, compassion, contentment, and truth as nectar. You are neither earth, nor water, nor fire, nor air, nor space. In order to attain liberation, know yourself as the witness of these, as consciousness itself. If only you will remain resting in consciousness, seeing the self as distinct from the body, then even now you will be happy, peaceful, and free from bondage. You do not belong to the Brahman or any other caste, nor are you at any stage in life. You are not anything that the eye can see. You are unattached and formless, the witness of everything. Be happy. Virtue and vice, pleasure and pain, are purely of the mind, not of you, O all-pervading one. You are neither the performer of actions nor the reaper of consequences. Truly, you are ever free. You are the one witness of everything, and are always totally free. This alone is your bondage, that you see the self as an object. 
Having been bitten by the great black serpent of the egoism, I am the doer. Drink the nectar of the faith, I am not the doer, and be happy. Burn down the forest of ignorance with the fire of the conviction, I am one, and pure consciousness, and free from grief, be happy. That in which this universe appears, like a snake imagined in a rope, that bliss, supreme bliss and consciousness, is what you are. Live happily. One who considers oneself free is free, and one who considers oneself bound is bound. Thus the saying is true. As one thinks, so one becomes. The self is the witness, the all-pervading, perfect, one, free consciousness, actionless, desireless, unattached, and quiet. Through illusion it appears to be involved with the world. Giving up the illusion that you are an individualized self, or anything internal or external, meditate on the self as immutable, non-dual consciousness. My child, you have long been trapped in the snare of identification with the body. Sever it with the sword of the knowledge, I am consciousness, and be happy. Truly, you are unattached, actionless, self-luminous, and stainless. Indeed, your bondage is that you practice meditation. The universe is pervaded by you and spread out in you. Truly, your nature is pure consciousness. Do not be small-minded. You are unconditioned, changeless, formless, unimpassioned, imperturbable, unfathomable awareness. Hold to nothing but consciousness. Know that which has form to be unreal, while the unmanifest is abiding. Through this initiation into truth, you will escape falling into unreality again. Just as a mirror exists within and apart from the image reflected in it, so the Supreme Lord exists within and apart from this body. Just as the same all-pervading space exists inside and outside a jar, so the eternal all-pervading Brahman exists in all things. Chapter 2 An amazed Janaka relates the joy of his own experience on realizing the subtleties of the principles explained. Janaka said, Oh, I am stainless, tranquil, pure consciousness, and beyond nature. All this time I have been deceived by delusion. As I alone give light to this body, so I do to this universe. Therefore the whole universe is mine, or else nothing is. Now, abandoning the body and everything else, through this knowledge I am able to perceive the true self. As waves, foam, and bubbles are not different from water, so the universe emanating from the self is not different from it. As cloth on investigation is found to be thread only, so the universe on investigation is found to be nothing but the self. As the juice 
of sugar cane wholly pervades the sugar produced in it, so this universe produced in me is completely permeated by me. From ignorance of the self the world appears, and with knowledge of the self it appears no longer. From ignorance of the rope a snake appears, and with knowledge of the rope it appears no longer. Light is my essential nature. I am not other than that. When the world shines forth, truly it is I that shine. Oh, the universe appears in me, imagined through ignorance, just as silver appears in mother of pearl, the snake in the rope, and the mirage of water in the light of the sun. Just as a jug dissolves into clay, a wave into water, and a bracelet into gold, so the universe, which has emanated out of me, dissolves into me. How wonderful I am! Glory be to the self, for whom there is no destruction, remaining even beyond the dissolution of the world, from Brahma down to the last clump of grass. How wonderful I am! Glory be to the self, one though with a body, neither going nor coming anywhere. I abide, pervading all that is. How wonderful I am! Glory be to the self, there is no one so capable as me, bearing the universe for all eternity without touching it with the body. How wonderful I am! Glory be to the self, to whom nothing belongs, or to whom everything that can be thought of or spoken of belongs. Knowledge, the knowable, and the knower, these three do not exist in reality. I am that stainless substratum, in which these three appear due to ignorance. Duality is the root of misery. There is no remedy for it other than the realization that all objects of experience are unreal and that I am one, pure consciousness and bliss. I am pure consciousness. Through ignorance I have imagined myself to have attributes. Continually reflecting in this way, I abide as the undifferentiated. There is neither bondage nor liberation for me. The illusion has lost its support and ceased. The universe exists in me, though in reality it does not exist in me. I have realized that the body and the universe are nothing. So on what now can superimposition be possible? The body, heaven, and hell, bondage and liberation and also fear. All this is pure imagination. What have I to do with these? I, whose nature is pure consciousness. I see no duality. Even the multitude of human beings has become like the wilderness. To what should I attach myself? I am not the body, nor is the body mine. I am not a living being. I am consciousness. It was my thirst for living that was my bondage. Rising with the wind of the mind, the diverse waves of the world are produced in the boundless ocean of my being. In the boundless ocean of my being, the wind of the mind dies down. The ship of the universe and the traitor-like jiva meet their unfortunate end. 
How strange that in the boundless ocean of my being, the individualized selves, as waves, spontaneously arise, collide, play, and disappear. Chapter 3 Ashtavakra deprecates the attachments within and without and enunciates the states of the realized. Ashtavakra said, Knowing the self to be one and indestructible by nature, how is it that you, a serene knower of the self, are attached to acquiring wealth? As greed arises for the illusion of silver caused by the ignorance of the mother of pearl, so does craving for objects of illusory perception arise in one ignorant of the self. Having known yourself to be that in which the universe arises and falls like waves in the sea, why do you run about like a miserable being? Even after hearing oneself to be pure consciousness and surpassingly beautiful, how can one be deeply devoted to sexual objects, thus attaining impurity? It is strange that for a sage who has realized the self in all beings and all beings in the self, the sense of ownership should continue. It is curious that a man who abides in supreme non-duality and is intent on liberation should still be subject to lust and weakened by sensual activity. Knowing for certain that lust is an enemy of knowledge, it is strange that one should still hanker after sensuality, even when one is very debilitated and approaching his last days. How strange that one who is unattached to the objects of this world and the next, who discriminates between the eternal and the transient, and who longs for liberation, should still fear liberation. Whether fetid and feasted, or tormented and abused, the serene ever sees the absolute self, and is neither gratified nor angered. The great soul being even sees his own body in action as though it were someone else's. How then can he be disturbed by praise or blame? Seeing the universe as mere illusion and losing any interest in it, how can one of steady mind feel fear at the approach of death? Who is to be compared with the great-souled one, fully contented with knowing of the self, and who is free of desire even in disappointment? Why should a steady-minded person who knows the objects of perception to be in their very nature nothing, consider fit this to be grabbed and that to be rejected. For one who has given up worldly attachments in his mind, who is beyond the pairs of opposites and is free from desire, no experience coming as a matter of course causes either pleasure or pain. Chapter 4 Ashtavakra dwells at length on the glory of jnana, the state of self-realization. Ashtavakra said, O oh, the intelligent-minded knower of the self, who plays the game of worldly enjoyment, has no similarity to the world's deluded beasts of burden. O oh, the yogi feels no excitement abiding in that state which Indra 
and all other gods hanker after disconsolately. He who has known the self is untouched by good and bad deeds, just as the sky is not touched by smoke, though it appears to be. Who can prohibit the great-souled one who has known the entire universe to be the self alone from living as he pleases? Of the four kinds of created things, from Brahma down to a clump of grass, only the man of knowledge is capable of renouncing desire and aversion. Rare is the one who knows himself to be one without a second and the Lord of the universe. He does what he knows and nothing causes him fear. Chapter 5 Ashtavakra instructs Janaka that the world and its objects and the experiences in the world are all imagined and unreal and exhorts him therefore to gain equanimity of perception and get dissolved in the self. Ashtavakra said, You have no association with anything whatsoever. Therefore, pure as you are, what do you need to renounce? Destroy the identification with the body-mind complex and enter into dissolution. The universe arises out of you like bubbles from the sea. Thus knowing the self to be one, enter into dissolution. The universe manifested like the snake in the rope is unreal, even though it is present to the senses. It does not exist in you who are pure. Thus enter into dissolution. You are pure. You are perfect for whom misery and happiness are the same, hope and despair the same, life and death the same. Thus enter into dissolution. Chapter 6 Ashtavakra says that the self being the substratum of the circumscribed world of insentience, the question of rejecting it or accepting it or making it not does not arise. Ashtavakra said, I am boundless like space. The phenomenal world is like a jar. This is knowledge. What need is there for renunciation, for holding on, or dissolution? I am like the ocean, and the universe like a wave. This is knowledge. What need is there for renunciation, holding on, or dissolution. I am like the mother of pearl, and the illusory universe is like the appearance of silver. This is a knowledge. What need is there for renunciation, for holding on, or dissolution? Indeed, I am in all beings, and all beings are in me. This is knowledge. What need is there for renunciation, holding on, or dissolution. Chapter 7 Janaka says that the knower of the self is one who is firmly poised in the expansive or limitless experience and sees only one and therefore the world appearances create no impact either favorable or unfavorable in him. 
nor do they generate attraction or repulsion towards them janaka said in the boundless ocean of my being the ship of the universe wanders here and there impelled by the wind of its own nature i am not affected by that in the boundless ocean of my being let the wave of the world rise or vanish of itself i neither increase nor decrease thereby in the boundless ocean of my being is the imagination called the universe i am supremely tranquil and formless in this alone do i abide the self is not in objects nor are objects in the self for it is infinite and stainless it is unattached desireless and at peace in this alone do i abide truly i am pure consciousness itself the world is like a conjurer show so how and where can there be any thought of holding on or rejecting in me chapter 8 ashtavakra then proceeds to dwell on the nature of bondage and release and reiterates the need to be egoless that is without the i sense and to remain without either accepting or rejecting ashtavakra said bondage is when the mind desires or grieves for something rejects or holds on to something is pleased or displeased about something liberation is when the mind does not desire anything grieve over anything reject or hold on to anything is not pleased or displeased about anything bondage is when the mind is tangled in any experience of the senses liberation is when the mind is not tangled in any of the senses when there is no i there is liberation when there is i there is bondage considering this easily refrain from holding on to anything and from rejecting anything chapter 9 ashtavakra further affirms that knowledge dawns only when the pairs of opposites are renounced and that destruction of desires is the destruction of samsara that is the world and that alone is the true state of being ashtavakra said duties done and not done as well as the pairs of opposites when do they ever cease and for whom knowing this be without desire and intent on renunciation through complete indifference to the world o oh my child rare indeed is that blessed one whose thirst for living thirst for enjoyment and thirst for knowledge have been extinguished by observing the ways of men the wise one becomes calm by realizing that all this is transient tainted by the threefold misery that is misery pertaining to mind and body misery caused by animate and inanimate objects and misery caused by cosmic forces that it is insubstantial contemptible and only fit for rejection 
At what time or age do the pairs of opposites not exist for men, abandoning them and resting content with what comes of itself, one attains perfection? Having observed the diversity of opinions among the great sages, saints, and yogis, who does not become indifferent to such things and become calm? Is he not a true spiritual guide who, by indifference to the world, equanimity, and reasoning, has attained knowledge of the nature of pure consciousness and leads others out of the cycle of birth and death? If you would look on the transformations of the elements as nothing more than the elements, then you would immediately be free from all bondage and established in your own true nature. Desire alone is samsara. Knowing this, renounce all desires. Renouncing them is renouncing the world. Now you may live anywhere. Chapter 10 Ashtavakra enjoins Janaka to eschew in total virtuous conduct, wealth, enjoyment, all transitory and unreal, and thus freed of desire and therefore action stilled to rest only in bliss. Ashtavakra said, Abandoning Kama, sensuous desire, the enemy, along with Artha, worldly prosperity, which is so full of trouble, as well as Dharma, religious duty, the cause of the other two, maintain indifference to everything. Look upon friends, lands, wealth, houses, wives, gifts, and other such good fortune as a dream or a conjurer show, lasting three or five days. Know that wherever there is desire, there indeed is samsara. Established in firm non-attachment and free from desire, be happy. Bondage consists only of desire. The elimination of desire is called liberation. Only by non-attachment to the world does one attain the constant joy of realization of the self. You are one, pure consciousness. The universe is inert non-being. Ignorance itself is nothing. What can you yet desire to know? Kingdoms, children, wives, bodies, pleasures have all been lost to you, birth after birth, attached to them though you were. Enough with wealth, desires, and pious deeds. The mind did not find rest in these, in the dreary forest of samsara. How many births have you not done hard and painful work with body, mind, and speech? Now at last, stop. Chapter 11 Ashtavakra continues, The way of the world in its entirety is the dharma, that is, innate feature of nature. The cause of grief is thoughts. Only the one who stays firmly anchored in Atman, the substratum of all, will enjoy the bliss of peace. Ashtavakra said, one who has realized that change in the form of existence and destruction is in the nature of things easily finds repose, being undisturbed and free from suffering. 
Knowing for certain that Ishvara is the creator of all and that there is no other here, one becomes peaceful with all desires gone from within and is attached to nothing whatsoever. Knowing for certain that adversity and prosperity come in their own time as a result of past actions, one remains ever contented, all his senses restrained, and neither desires nor grieves. Knowing for certain that happiness and misery, birth and death, are due to one's fate, one does not find anything to accomplish, and thus remains free from care, and even when acting, he is not attached. One who has realized that anxiety and nothing else breeds suffering in this world becomes free of it and is happy, peaceful, and everywhere rid of desires. I am not the body, nor is the body mine. I am consciousness itself. Realizing this for certain, one does not remember what he has done or has not done, as though he has attained the absolute state. All is verily I, from Brahma down to a clump of grass. Knowing this for certain, one is free from the conflict of thought, is pure and peaceful, and turns away from what is attained and not attained. Knowing for certain that this manifold and wonderful universe is nothing, one remains desireless as pure consciousness and finds peace as though nothing exists. Chapter 12 Janaka speaks of the state of abiding in the Self as Self, totally detached from all deeds, physical, mental and vocal. Janaka said, First I became averse to physical activity, then to a moderate speech, and finally to thinking itself. Thus verily do I abide. Having no attachment to sound or other sense objects, and as the self also is not an object of perception, my mind is free from distraction and one-pointed. Thus verily do I abide. Effort is made for concentration of mind when there is distraction due to superimposition, etc. Seeing this to be the rule, thus verily do I abide. Devoid of the sense of the rejectable and the acceptable, and having neither joy nor sorrow, O Brahman, thus do I now abide. Stage of life or no stage of life, meditation, renunciation of the objects of mind, finding these to cause distractions to me, thus verily do I abide. Abstaining from action is as much an outcome of ignorance as the performance of action. Fully knowing this truth, thus verily do I abide. Thinking of the unthinkable one, one has recourse only to a form of thought. Giving up that thought, thus verily do I abide. Fulfilled is the one who has accomplished this. Fulfilled is the one who is such by nature. Chapter 13 Janaka dwells on the experience of beautitude in abiding as self, the natural state, absolutely thought-free. Janaka said, The tranquility that is born of the consciousness that nothing but the self exists is rare, 
even among those who possess but a loincloth. Therefore, giving up renunciation and holding on, I live happily. Here the body is weary, there the tongue is fatigued, and somewhere else the mind is distressed. Forsaking these, I live happily, established in life's supreme goal. Fully realizing that nothing whatsoever is really done by the self, I live happily, doing whatever arises to be done. Yogis who are attached to the body insist on action or inaction. Due to the absence of association or disassociation with the body, I live happily. No good or evil accrues to me by staying, going, or sleeping, so I live happily, whether I stay, go, or sleep. I do not lose by sleeping or gain by striving. So giving up the thought of loss or elation, I live happily. Observing again and again the inconstancy of pleasure in various circumstances, I live happily, having given up good and evil. Chapter 14 Janaka states that none can comprehend the base of a jnani who roams in the world with perfect freedom devoid of thoughts and devoid of mind as his very nature and therefore desireless and anchored firmly in the awareness of being. Janaka said, The one who is by nature empty-minded, who thinks of things inadvertently, and who is, as it were, awake though asleep, verily has his recollections of worldly life exhausted. When desire has melted away, where are my riches? Where are my friends? Where are the robbers in the form of sense objects? Where are scriptures and knowledge? Having realized the Supreme Self, who is the witness and Lord, and with no desire regarding bondage or liberation, I am not anxious for liberation. The various states of one who inwardly is devoid of doubt, but who outwardly moves about at his pleasure, like a deluded person, are known only by those like him. Chapter 15 That the very embodiment of knowledge, the substratum of the world, which keeps alternating between appearance and the disappearance, art thou that true content that appears with the desire for the objects of the world and appears with the removal of it, art thou. Thou alone art everything. Therefore, be ever in bliss absolutely free of thought, positive or negative, or contemplation of the goal. Ashtavakra said, A man of sattvic intellect reaches the supreme goal even by instruction casually imparted. Another man is bewildered even after seeking knowledge his entire life. Liberation is distaste for objects of the senses. Bondage is love for objects of the senses. Such, verily, is knowledge. Now do as you please. This knowledge of the truth makes an eloquent, wise, and active person mute 
inert, and lazy. So it is shunned by those whose aim is enjoyment. You are not the body, nor is the body yours. You are not the performer of actions, nor are you the reaper of consequences. You are consciousness itself, the eternal witness, and you are free. Go about happily. Attachment and abhorrence are attributes of the mind. The mind is never yours. You are intelligence itself, free from conflict and unchanging. Go about happily. Realizing the self in all and all in the self, free from egoism and free from the sense of mind, be happy. O thou pure intelligence, you are indeed that in which the universe manifests itself like waves on the ocean. Without any doubt, that is what you are. So be free of feverishness. Have faith, my son, have faith. Never be deluded in this. You are knowledge itself. You are the Lord. You are the self. You are beyond the processes of nature. The body, composed of the ingredients of nature, comes, stays, and goes. The self neither comes nor goes. Why then do you mourn it? Let the body last until the end of the kapha, or let it go even today. Where is there any increase or decrease in you who are pure knowingness? In you who are the infinite ocean, let the waves of the universe rise and fall according to their own nature. It is no gain or loss to you. My son, you are pure consciousness itself. The world is not separate from you. Therefore, who is there to think of holding on or rejecting? And how? And where? How can there be birth, karma, and even individuality for you who are the one, immutable, calm, stainless space of pure consciousness? In whatever you perceive, you alone appear. Do bracelets, armlets, and anklets appear different from gold? Completely give up such distinctions as I am he and I am not this. Consider all as the self. Be desireless and happy. It is through your ignorance alone that the universe appears. In reality, you alone are. There is no jiva or ishwar other than you. Knowing for certain that this universe is but an illusion and a nothing, one becomes desireless and pure intelligence and finds peace as though nothing exists. In the ocean of the world, one alone was, is, and will be. There is neither bondage nor liberation for you. Be contented and go about happily. O oh, pure consciousness, do not bother your mind with affirmations and denials. Be calm and abide happily in your own self, which is bliss itself. Give up contemplating anything, and hold nothing in your heart. You are verily the self, and therefore free. What will you accomplish by thinking? Chapter 16 Ashtavakra instructs further that the beatitude of the Atman is gained by merely forgetting everything, all the non-self. The state of supreme bliss is the state of objectless awareness devoid of effort of any kind. To abide in it, one must remain 
freed of likes and dislikes, I and mine and thoughts. Ashtavakra said, My child, you may speak upon or listen to various scriptures again and again, but you cannot be established in the self until you forget everything. O wise one, you may enjoy or work or practice mental concentration, but your mind will still yearn for that which is beyond all objects and in which all desires are extinguished. All are miserable due to effort, but no one realizes this. Through this instruction alone, the Blessed One attains emancipation. Happiness belongs to none other than that master idler for whom even opening and closing the eyes is an affliction. When the mind is freed from such pairs of opposites as this is done and that is not done, it becomes indifferent to religious merit, worldly prosperity, sensual desire, and liberation. One who abhors sense objects becomes unattached. One who hankers after sense objects becomes attached to them. But he who does not reject and does not hold on is neither unattached nor attached. As long as desire, which is the abode of the state of indiscrimination, continues, there will verily be the sense of attraction and aversion, which is the branch and sprout of samsara. Acting begets attachment. Abstention from action begets aversion. The man of wisdom, like a child, is free from the pairs of opposites and is thus established. One who is attached to the world wants to renounce it in order to avoid suffering. But one without attachment is free from suffering and does not feel miserable even in the world. One who has an egoistic feeling towards liberation and considers even the body as his own is neither a jnani nor a yogi. He only suffers. Let even Shiva, Vishnu, or the lotus-born Brahma be your instructor. But until you forget everything, you cannot be established in the Self. Chapter 17 Ashtavakra describes the exalted and indescribable nature of the Atma Rama who revels in the Self and who enjoys the same bliss whatever he is faced with. Ashtavakra said, He who is content with senses purified and ever enjoys being alone has gained the fruit of knowledge as well as of the practice of yoga. O oh, the knower of truth is never miserable in this world for the whole universe is filled by himself alone. No sense objects ever please one who delights in the self. Even as the leaves of the neem tree do not please an elephant who delights in the salaki leaves. Rare in this world is the one on whom is left no impression of things he has experienced and who has no desire for things he has not yet experienced. The one who desires worldly enjoyment and the one who desires liberation are both found in samsara, but rare indeed is the great-souled one who is not desirous of enjoyment or liberation. 
It is only a noble-minded one who has neither attraction nor aversion to religious merit, worldly prosperity, sensuality, and liberation, as well as life and death. The man of knowledge feels no desire for the dissolution of the universe or aversion to its existence. The blessed one, therefore, lives happily on whatever subsistence comes of itself. Being fulfilled by this knowledge of the self, and with his mind absorbed and contented, the wise one lives happily, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, and eating. There is no attachment or non-attachment in one for whom the ocean of samsara has dried up. His look is objectless, his action purposeless, and his senses inoperative. The wise one neither keeps awake nor sleeps, neither opens nor closes his eyes. O oh, the liberated soul everywhere enjoys the supreme state. The liberated one is found to be always abiding in the self and always pure in heart. He lives free from all desires under all conditions. Seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, eating, taking, speaking, and walking, the great-souled one, free from all efforts and non-efforts, is verily liberated. The liberated one neither slanders nor praises, neither rejoices nor is angry, neither gives nor takes. He is everywhere free from attachment. The great-souled one is not perturbed, and remains self-possessed at the sight of an amorous woman and at the approach of death. He is indeed liberated. For the steady one who sees the same everywhere, there is no difference between happiness and misery, man and woman, and prosperity and adversity. In the wise one whose worldly life is exhausted and who is no longer a man, there is neither aggression nor compassion, neither insolence nor humility, neither wonder nor mental disturbance. The liberated one neither abhors the objects of the senses nor craves them. Ever with a detached mind, he experiences those that come as a matter of course. The sage with a vacant mind knows not of the alternatives of contemplation and its absence, good and evil. He abides as though in the state of the absolute. Devoid of the sense of mind and the sense of I, knowing for certain that nothing exists, and with all desires gone from within, the man of knowledge does not act, though he may be acting. An indescribable state is attained by the sage whose mind has melted away, its functions having ceased to operate, and who is free from the display of the mind and from delusion, dream, and dullness. Chapter 18 Abidance in one's natural state of quiescence by renouncing everything else is bliss. All other sadhanas are just for novices. One who abides as self stands apart from the ways of the world. Duty, dualities and mistaken thoughts are not for him. His nature is wonderful. Freed from bondage, alone bestows this exalted state. A jnani, 
the dhira stands heads and shoulders above the hapless ignorant the bond free natural state of a gnani is more beautiful than the rule bound state of a sadhak only a gnani can know another gnani he abides forever in the non dual state with no other or a second the cause of attachment and aversion viewing equally life and death solitude and maddening crowd he will be anchored firmly in the true content thus ashtavakra expatiates ashtavakra said salutations to that which in its nature is bliss itself calm and effulgence and with the dawning of the knowledge of which all delusion becomes like a dream one may get abundant enjoyment by acquiring all kinds of worldly objects but one cannot be happy without renouncing all how can one whose heart's core has been scorched by the heat of the sun of sorrow arising from a sense of duty enjoy happiness without the continuous rain of the ambrosia of tranquility the universe is but imagination in reality it is nothing that which is inherent in existence and non-existence never ceases to be the nature of the self which is absolute effortless immutable and stainless is neither far away nor limited but ever attained as soon as delusion ceases and the self is apprehended the veil falls from one's vision and he lives with his sorrows dispelled knowing all is mere imagination and the self is eternal and free does not the wise one act like a child knowing for certain that one's self is brahman and that existence and non-existence are imagined what should the one who is free from desire know say or do such thoughts as this indeed am i and this i am not become annihilated for the yogi who has become silent by knowing for certain all as self for the yogi who has attained peace there is neither distraction nor concentration neither increase of knowledge nor ignorance neither pleasure nor pain the dominion of heaven or mendicancy gain or loss society or solitude all are the same to the yogi whose nature is free from conditions dharma religious duty kama sensuality arta worldly prosperity and discrimination have no significance for the yogi who has transcended such dual notions as this is done and this is not done the yogi who is liberated while still alive has neither any duty to perform nor any attachment in his heart his actions in this world pertain to the present life only where is delusion where is the universe where is meditation on that where is liberation for the great souled one 
who rests beyond the world of desires. He who sees the universe may try to deny it, but what has the desireless one to do? He sees not even though he sees. Having seen the Supreme Brahman, one meditates upon I am Brahman. But what does he who has transcended all thought think when he sees no second? He who sees distraction in himself controls himself. But the wise one is not distracted. When there is nothing to achieve, what is he to do? The man of knowledge, though living like a worldly man, is contrary to him. He sees in himself neither concentration, nor distraction, nor impurity. He who is beyond existence and non-existence, who is wise, satisfied, and free from desire, does nothing even though he may be acting in the eyes of the world. The wise one who lives on happily, doing what comes to him to be done, does not feel troubled either in activity or in inactivity. Blown by the wind of samskaras, tendencies, the desireless, independent, free and liberated person moves about like a dry leaf. There is no joy or sorrow for one who has transcended samsara. Ever with a serene mind, he lives like one without a body. The wise man, whose delight is in self and whose mind is calm and pure, has no desire for renunciation whatsoever, nor does he anywhere feel any loss. The wise one is not affected by honor or dishonor like an ordinary man. He is naturally of a vacant mind and acts as he pleases. One who acts in conformity with such thoughts as this is done by the body and not by me, the pure self, such a one, even though acting, does not act. The Jivan Mukta acts like one who does not say that he is acting so. But he is not, therefore, a fool, even though in the world he flourishes, looking happy and blessed. Weary of diverse reasonings, the wise one attains repose. He neither thinks, nor knows, nor hears, nor sees. Being beyond meditation and distraction, the great soul is neither an aspirant for liberation, nor is he in bondage. Having ascertained the universe to be a figment of imagination, even though he sees it, he exists as Brahman itself. He who has a sense of doership in him acts even though he does not act. The wise one who is free from doership does no wrong deed. The mind of the liberated one is neither troubled nor pleased. It shines actionless, motionless, desireless, and free from doubts. The mind of the liberated one does not exert itself to be either meditative or active, but it becomes meditative and active without any intention. A dull-witted person becomes bewildered on hearing the truth, but a wise man draws within himself like a dull person. 
The ignorant constantly practice concentration and control of the mind. The wise, like those in deep sleep, find nothing to be done and abide in the true self. The ignorant person does not attain peace, either by inaction or by action. The wise one becomes happy simply by knowing the truth. In this world, those who devote themselves to diverse practices do not know the self, which is pure, intelligent, beloved, perfect, beyond the visible universe, and free from any taint. An ignorant person does not attain liberation by repeated practice, which is an activity. The Blessed One, devoid of activity, stands free and changeless merely through knowledge. The ignorant person does not attain to Brahman because he desires to become that. The wise one realizes the nature of the Supreme Brahman, even without desiring it. Without any support and eager for the attainment of freedom, the ignorant only sustain samsara. The wise cut the very root of samsara, which is the source of all misery. The fool desires peace, and so does not attain it. The wise one knows the truth, and is ever of peaceful mind. Where is self-knowledge for him, whose knowledge depends on the object? The wise do not see this and that, but see the immutable self. Where is control of mind for the deluded one, who strives for it? It is indeed always natural with the wise one who delights in the self. Some think that existence is, and others that nothing is. Rare is the one who thinks neither, and is thus calm. Men of poor intellect think that the Atman is pure and one without a second, but through delusions they do not know it and are unhappy as long as they live. The intellect of one who longs for liberation cannot function without depending on the object for support, but the intellect of the liberated one is indeed without any support and free from desire. Seeing the tigers of sense objects, the frightened ones, seeking refuge, at once enter the cave for the attainment of control and concentration. Seeing the desireless lion, the elephants of sense objects, quietly take to their heels and when unable to escape, serve him like flatterers. He who is free from doubts and whose mind is absorbed in the self, does not resort to practices of control as a means to liberation. Seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, and eating, he lives happily. And tasting, he lives happily. He whose mind has been purified and freed from distraction by merely hearing about the truth, sees nothing to be done or to be avoided, nor cause for indifference. 
The wise one freely does whatever comes to be done, whether good or evil, for his actions are like those of a child. Through self-dependence, one attains to happiness. Through self-dependence, to the highest. Through self-dependence, to tranquility. Through self-dependence, the supreme state. All the activity of the mind comes to an end when a man realizes that he himself is neither the doer nor the enjoyer. The conduct of the wise one though unrestrained and inartificial, shines, but not the affected calmness of the fool whose mind is attached. The wise who are free from imaginings, unbound and liberated intellect, sometimes play in the midst of great enjoyments and sometimes retire into the mountain caves. No desire whatsoever springs in the heart of the wise man on seeing or honoring a man versed in sacred learning, a god, a holy place, a woman, a king, or a beloved one. A yogi is not at all perturbed, even when ridiculed and despised by his servants, sons, wives, daughters' sons, and relations. Though pleased, he is not pleased. Though pained, he does not suffer any pain. Only those like him understand his wonderful state. The sense of duty, indeed, is samsara. The wise, who are of the form of the void, formless, immutable, and untainted, see no such thing. One of dull intellect, even without doing anything, is ever agitated by distraction, but the wise one, even doing his duties, is undisturbed. With perfect equanimity, even in practical life, the wise one sits happily, sleeps happily, moves happily, speaks happily, and eats happily. He who, owing to his self-possession, does not feel distressed like ordinary people, even in practical life, remains unagitated like a vast lake with all his sorrows gone. Even the inaction of the deluded becomes action, and even the action of the wise results in the fruit of inaction. The deluded one often shows aversion to his possessions. He whose desire for the body has vanished has neither attachment nor aversion. The consciousness of the deluded one is always attached to thinking and not thinking, but the consciousness of the wise one, though attended with thinking the thinkable, is of the nature of unconsciousness. The sage who moves like a child, pure and without motive in all his observances, has no attachment even to the work that is being done by him. Blessed indeed is that knower of the self, who, even though seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, or tasting, is free from desire and is the same in all conditions. Where is the reflected self? Where is the world? Where is the end? And where is the means? For the wise one who is ever changeless, 
like the sky. Glorious is he who renounces all desires and is the embodiment of infinite bliss, which is his own nature, and who is spontaneously absorbed in samadhi, in the unconditioned self. In short, the great-souled one who has realized the truth is free from the desire for enjoyment and liberation and is devoid of all attachment at all times and in all places. What remains to be done by one who is pure consciousness, who has forsaken phenomenal existence, beginning with mahat, cosmic intelligence, etc., and which is manifested through mere name. The pure one who has known for certain that this universe is the product of illusion and that nothing exists, to whom the inexpressible is expressed, naturally enjoys peace. Rules of conduct, dispassion, renunciation, and restraint of the senses. What are all these to one who is of the nature of pure intelligence and who does not perceive any objective reality? Where is the bondage or liberation, joy or sorrow for one who shines as the infinite and does not perceive the relative existence? In the world, Existing until self-realization, only maya prevails. The wise one lives without the feeling of I and mine and attachment. To the sage who perceives his own self as imperishable and sorrowless, where is knowledge, where is the universe, where are the feelings of I am the body and the body is mine? No sooner does the man of dull intellect give up the practices of control of the mind, etc., than he falls prey to desires and fancies. The man of dull intellect, even hearing the truth, does not give up his delusion. By making an effort, he appears devoid of mental activity, yet a craving for sense objects lurks within. He whose work has dropped with the dawn of knowledge does not find any occasion to do or say anything, even if he may be doing work in the eyes of ordinary people. For the wise one who is ever immutable and fearless, where is their darkness? Where is their light? Where is there any loss? There is nothing whatsoever. Where is patience? Where is discrimination? Where is fearlessness for the yogi who is impersonal and is of indescribable nature? There is no heaven and no hell. There is not even liberation in life. In short, nothing exists in yogic consciousness. The wise one neither longs for gain nor grieves at non-attainment. His calm mind is verily filled with the nectar of immortal bliss. The desireless one neither praises the calm nor blames the wicked. Contented and the same in happiness and misery, he finds nothing to be done. The wise one neither abhors samsara nor wishes to perceive the self. Free from joy and sorrow, 
He is neither dead nor alive. Glorious is the life of the wise one who is free from expectation, free from attachment to children, wife, and others, free from desire for the objects of the senses, and free from the care of even his own body. Contentment ever dwells in the heart of the wise one who lives on whatever comes to him and wanders about as he pleases, resting wherever the sun sets, reposing on the foundation of his own being and forgetting the entire cycle of birth and rebirth, samsara. The great-souled one cares not whether his body dies or is born. Blessed is the wise one who stands alone, who is attached to nothing, who is without any possession, who moves freely, who is free from the pairs of opposites, and whose doubts have been dissolved. Glorious is the wise one who is devoid of the feeling of mine, to whom earth, stone, and gold are the same, the knots of whose heart have been completely severed, and who has been purged of rajas and tamas. Who is there to stand comparison with the liberated soul who has at heart no desire whatsoever, who is contented and indifferent to everything? Who but the desireless one knows without knowing, sees without seeing, speaks without speaking? Be he a beggar or a king, he excels, who is unattached and whose view of existence has been freed from the sense of good and evil. Where is wantonness? Where is restraint? Where is determination of truth for the yogi whose life's object has been fulfilled? And who is the embodiment of guileless sincerity? How and to whom can be described what is experienced within by one who is desireless, whose sorrow is finished, and who is contented with repose in the self. Not asleep even in sound sleep, not reposing even in the dream state, not awake even in the waking state, is the wise one who is contented under all conditions. The man of knowledge is devoid of thought even when engaged in thought, devoid of the sense organs even though he has them, devoid of intelligence, even though endowed with it, and devoid of the sense of ego, even though possessed of it. He is neither happy nor miserable, neither attached nor unattached, neither liberated nor an aspirant for liberation, neither this nor that. The Blessed One is not distracted, even in distraction is not meditative even in meditation, is not dull even in a state of dullness, and is not learned even though possessed of learning. The liberated one who abides in the self under all conditions is free from the idea of what has been done and what ought to be done. He is the same everywhere, and owing to desirelessness does not reflect upon what he has or has not done. 
Praised, he does not feel pleased. Blamed, he does not feel annoyed. He neither rejoices in life nor fears death. The one whose mind is calm neither runs after the crowded place nor the wilderness. He remains the same in any condition and any place whatsoever. Chapter 19 Janaka affirms his firm abundance in the glory of the self by his non-mediated experience of jnana gained by banishing all thoughts positive and negative. He further declares that except the glory of the self he has nothing else. Janaka said, I have extracted from the inmost recess of my heart the thorn of endless opinions with the pincers of the knowledge of the truth. Where is Dharma? Where is Kama? Where is Artha? Where is discrimination? Where is duality? And where even is non-duality for me who abide in my own glory? Where is the past? Where is the future? Where even is the present? Where is space? And where is eternity for me who abide in my own glory? Where is self? And where is non-self? Where is good? And where is evil? Where is anxiety? And where is non-anxiety for me who abide in my own glory? Where is dreaming? Where is deep sleep? Where is wakefulness? Where is the fourth state, Turiya? And where even is fear for me who abide in my own glory? Where is distance or proximity, exterior or interior, grossness or subtlety for me who abide in my own glory? Where is death and life? Where are the worlds and the worldly relations? Where is dissolution and meditation for me who abide in my own glory? Talking about the three ends of life is needless. Talking about yoga is needless. Talking about knowledge is needless for me who reposes in the self. Chapter 20 Janaka conclusively affirms that in him who is pure awareness personified there exist neither the instruments of action nor of perception none whatsoever of the dualities the triads of the actions the world the jivas the maya samsara nor mukti Janaka said Where are the elements where is the body where are the sense organs where is the mind where is the void where is despair in my stainless nature where are the scriptures where is knowledge of the self where is mind without thought of objects where is contentment where is desirelessness for me who am ever devoid of the sense of duality where is knowledge and where is ignorance where is the i where is this where is mine where is bondage 
and where is liberation? Where is any attribute of the nature of the self? Where are prarabdha karmas? Where is liberation in life? Where even is liberation at death to the undifferentiated? Where is the doer or enjoyer? Where is cessation of activity or the rising of thought? Where is direct knowledge and where is reflected knowledge to me, the ever impersonal? Where is the world and where is the aspirant for liberation? Where is the contemplative man and where is the man of knowledge? Where is the soul in bondage and where is the liberated soul to me, who am the non-dual essence? Where is manifestation of the universe or its retraction? Where is the end and where are the means? Where is the seeker and where is attainment to me who abide in my non-dual self? Where is the knower, the means to knowledge, the object of knowledge? And where is knowledge itself? Where is anything or nothing to the self? who is ever pure? Where is distraction and where is concentration? Where is dullness and where is delusion? Where is joy and where is sorrow for me who am ever actionless? Where is relativity and the absolute? Where is happiness and misery to me who am ever devoid of thought activity? Where is maya And where is samsara? Where is attachment? Or where is detachment? Where is jiva? And where is brahman? For me, who am ever pure. Where is activity or inactivity? Where is liberation or bondage to me, who am ever immutable and indivisible and established in the self? Where is instruction or scriptural injunction? Where is disciple and where is preceptor? Where is the ultimate goal of life to me, who am absolute good and free from limitation? Where is existence or non-existence? Where is unity or duality? What more is there to say? Nothing arises from me.